0: Hi, everyone. This is Javier, your host here at The Restore Podcast. We would love to hear your thoughts about The Restore Podcast topics, guests, your favorite episodes, or whatever you may want to let us know. And I am so happy to announce that now you can do that simply by texting us. By going to the show notes, there you will see a link that simply says, send us a text message. Click on it. Don't remove the number there that you will see and simply send us a text. Simple as that. So, don't wait. Go to any episode show notes and text us now. Let us know your thoughts. We can't wait to hear from you. God bless.
1: Welcome to Restore, a podcast seeking to restore the vision, restore the mission, restore the church. And now, your host, Javier Diaz.
0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Restore podcast, episode 37. My name is Javier, and I'm your host. I hope and pray. That wherever and whatever you may be doing as you listen to the Restore Podcast, that it will be a blessing to you to help restore the vision, restore the mission, restore the church. And as always, thank you. Thank you so much for listening and sharing the Restore Podcast. I'm so, so excited that on today's episode, I had the honor and pleasure of speaking with Dr. Carlton Byrd. He is the senior pastor of the Oakwood University Seventh-day Adventist Church on the campus of Oakwood University in Huntsville, Alabama, and the speaker director of the Breath of Life television broadcast for the Seventh-day Adventist Church in North America. Let me tell you, I was, uh, again, really, really blessed by hearing uh, some of Dr. Bird's personal journey, his passion and thoughts on ministry, evangelism, discipleship, and much, much more. So I just can't wait for you to listen. Uh, Make sure you check out the show notes uh, for info on books that we mentioned in this podcast. And at the very end of the episode, I will give information on how to get a copy of Dr. Bird's new sharing book uh, mentioned in the episode as well. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Carlton Bird. I am so excited to have you on the Restore podcast.
1: Welcome. Thank you, Javier. It's great to be here. And I'm sure this will be a blessing, hopefully for all who listen, but I know it will be a blessing for me. Well, I know
0: it'll be a blessing with myself as well. I've been uh, wanting to have you on for some time. And so thank you for, again, the quick turnaround. Uh, I know you are a busy man, but so let's get right into it. And as I always, almost always like to start with our guests, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, uh, where you were raised, your family, your faith uh, journey, um, so, yeah, I know a lot of people within our community of faith know who you are, but um, hopefully now they'll really know who you are. So tell right.
1: us. Well, I was born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I am the son okay. of a pastor. Um, and with that, while Baton Rouge, Louisiana was and is my birthplace, I would not necessarily say that's where I was real. Um My father being a pastor, my mother, his wife being a church school teacher. Of course, as you know, we've moved quite a bit. Uh, but right. I would dare to say Florida uh, is my home state. I um, okay. been there for the majority of my life. Uh, I would say Florida. Uh, um, for 40 years, uh, hmm. 40 years ago, we moved to Florida. I'm 47 now. So we, we moved to Florida 40 years ago when we were kids. Uh, my parents pastored there in St. Petersburg, Florida. And then from st okay. petersburg to fort lauderdale and south florida and so with that i, I would dare to say florida uh, i have a, i am a twin uh, my twin resides currently in atlanta georgia we have an older sister uh, there are three of us she resides in the fort lauderdale area and so uh, that's pretty much my upbringing uh, from after graduating from high school in miami florida greater miami academy uh, from there okay. i went to oakwood college, now Oakwood University. Uh, right. That's pretty much my journey in terms of my formative years. Mm.
0: Well, tell me um, a little bit about your call. I mean, you were born in a pastoral home. Well, you were in a hospital, but you were raised in a pastoral home. Um, tell us a little bit about that call to, you know, to to actual ministry and, and, and what was that like for you as you went into, into Oakwood? Did you go to Oakwood? Uh, feeling the call to be a, you know, preacher, pastor, or did you have a, you know, different, you know, actual, you know, moment where you said, I think God is calling me to, you know, go and be a pastor.
1: Okay. So I believe that this is what the Lord has called me to do from when I was a little boy, um, okay. following my dad, following the church. And even as a young person, and when I say young person, I'm talking about elementary. I took right. an interest in the church. Uh, I took an interest in the way church was done. I took an interest in our structure as a church. And when I say took an interest, I'm talking about when there was church business meeting, where most of the other kids my age would be outside playing. I was in business meeting, listening, learning. Back in those days, um, my dad would receive mail from the conference because we didn't have all the internet and social media like we do now. And uh, I would read his mail and I would file it for him. He even got to the point where he could be at a meeting at church and he would call back, you know, at the house and he would ask my mother uh, for certain things. And she would say, well, you know, buddy, that's my nickname. You know, buddy knows where that is. So let me give the phone to him and I could tell him where it is, you know, all the kind of good stuff. In fact, probably in Florida, uh, in both Southeastern and Florida Conference, uh, if a church is over. 20 years old, I probably can tell you the name of the church, the street address, Mm. and all that, because I used to memorize conference directories. So, from a child, I was called and born to do this. When I got to Oakwood uh, as a student, I majored in both theology and I majored in business management with an emphasis in accounting. Uh, I thought that with business management, business administration, and accounting, that would be a blessing for me uh, in my ministry. And so I I double majored. Uh, I remember a pastor telling me, if you feel called by God, run as far away from the ministry as you can. Now, my Mm. definition of running from the ministry was not going out and engaging in certain vices. My running from the ministry was during the summer months, as opposed to taking internships that were uh, rooted, if you will, in evangelism or traditional evangelism as, as we see it. I went on, because I had done that with my dad growing up in high school and whatnot. I said, let me go out and do some accounting internships. So I, I went and did an accounting internship one summer with, uh, Dow Corning Corporation, which is based in Midland, Michigan, uh, great money, particularly for a college student. Uh, The next year, I did an accounting internship with ITT Hartford Life Insurance Company in Hartford, Connecticut. Again, great money, um, great experience meeting different people. But it was not me. It was not what I wanted to do. And I knew at that point that the calling of God on my life to do pastoral ministry was real. I mean, Mm. it was real. I, I knew. Now, interestingly enough. After I finished Oakwood, of course, I got my first uh, three-church district in southern Mississippi, three smaller churches, Laurel, Columbia, and Soso, Mississippi. And given my business background and training, coupled with the fact that many persons, there were few, we had a dearth, if you will, of persons who had theological training and business training, I thought, Javier, my path in the church and church work was gonna be more business related and treasury related. I thought Hmm. that there was a need for persons who had been trained in both disciplines. And I thought that I could be a better uh, person, if you will, in treasury, the treasury realm of the church, having pastoral experience, because while you would know debits and credits, if you would, I would also understand the rigors of pastoral ministry. So I felt that I could be best use and a greater asset going that direction but I got into evangelism and I got into pastoring and preaching and loving people that I was like this is the track the Lord would have me to go so 25 years later after looking back (laughs) I thank God for the track because in my early years as an adolescent then as a teen then as a college student and then early on in my pastoral career, it all worked hand-in-hand and truly the Lord wanted me to do this. And so for that, I'm grateful. I always say all the time, God afforded me this privilege Uh, because he not only wanted to see other people saved, but he wanted to see me saved. And so yeah. I'm thankful to the Lord for that. So I believe to answer your question, is, it, being a little boy, this, this is what I knew to do. And it was affirmed. Uh, when I was at Oakwood, uh, during these other internships, that my heart and the calling and the purpose God had for me was ministry and pastoral ministry and evangelism.
0: Well, that's amazing and beautiful to see, just the fact that, as you mentioned, it seemed like you tested the waters a little bit while there in those internships. and But ultimately, when you got deep into, as you said, loving people, evangelism, your your passions and your giftings just exploded, it seems. And uh, obviously, God has blessed you and your ministry tremendously. I've been following it for mm-hmm. some time from a distance, obviously, and it's blessed me. So I just want to thank you for accepting God's call. Um, I know you're married. Uh, kids, how, how many kids uh, you know do you have? And um, let's go with that here before we go into the ministry part.
1: Sure so at Oakwood University I when I was a student over college then I uh, met a beautiful young lady who is also a pastor's kid. Uh, hmm. Danielle uh, formerly Danielle Manner, and Danielle praise God has been my wife for greater than 21 years. I uh, met at Oakwood uh, God has blessed us, love her to death. Uh, she is so supportive of me in ministry, loves me for being me. Um, hmm. So, we've been married 21 years. Uh, God has blessed us. Uh, we have three beautiful children. Uh, Kristen, who is 18, uh, she just graduated from high school, Oakwood Adventist Academy. She is uh, going to be going to Oakwood University, majoring in biology, and she is our rising orthodontist. Uh, there she, you go. We praise God for her, she is great. We also praise God uh, for our middle child, Kaylee. Kaylee is Mm -hmm. also an honor student, principal's list. She will be a junior at Oakwood Adventist Academy this upcoming year. Uh, We are proud of Kaylee, love Kaylee as well. Uh, I thank God for our daughters. And then of course, our baby girl, we're proud of her, Uh, Carissa, Carissa is five years old and Carissa Mm. will be going to kindergarten at Oakwood (laughs) Evidence Academy. Uh, I I tell people I'm a modern day Abraham. So my wife and I are blessed with three beautiful daughters, one 18, one 16, and one 5. And so we will have the distinction next year of having one child in Oakwood University with the college, one child in Oakwood Adventist Academy, the high school, 16 years old at 11th grade, and then one child in Oakwood Elementary, a (laughs) five-year-old in the kindergarten program. So the elementary, the high school, and the college uh, will have one. So I love my family. Uh, They're so supportive. And I thank God for them. So so
0: I'm believing that um, in having that honor and that distinction that you are perhaps the only father that has that distinction of having somebody at the university, the high school, and um, the elementary—is that perhaps correct?
1: I think that's correct. I think that's correct.
0: <laughs> well, I think I think you get a spe- you should have like a special plaque. I'm seeing your office there. You know all the awards and everything. I think that one is probably the best one of all. I, in uh, my opinion, it, I don't know, maybe you're wrong.
1: It is the best one of all. Uh, <laughs> my wife and three kids, and and I'll tell you this—they are my toughest members. Uh, <laughs> Because uh, you know they see Carlton Bird at home, and then they right, see Carlton right. Bird at church, and then with Breath of Life and whatnot, and they know the That's real true. deal. So uh, I I'm you. thankful to them for thankful to God for. Them.
0: Well, praise the Lord. We always I always like to ask about you know family because we can't do it without our families, and so praise right. God for them and thank you for uh, letting us know. So Carlton, you you uh, mentioned just a minute ago in your faith, you know, journey. Your first place it was a three church uh, district uh, there in the Deep South. And um, I don't know if you know, but I spent I've mentioned it several times on the podcast here. I spent ten years in the Gulf States Conference. So oh, my wow. first okay uh,
1: district, okay
0: yeah my first uh, district was a three church uh, district um, in Mississippi Alabama, um, and um, I was. Um, I think I was one of the first, if not the first, I I don't know if I was the first, but for sure one of the first of being, my wife and I, being Hispanic background to pastor a majority white and black church, so there wasn't too many Javier Diaz, I mean, my name can't be any more Hispanic um, in the area per se, for sure they had never had a pastor named Javier Diaz or any kind of Hispanic name, and uh, my wife's name is Dinora Ulloa Diaz, so her name couldn't be more Hispanic, um, and I remember uh, in our first uh, district, so it was a three-church district, uh, we lived in the middle church, uh, the others were 45 minutes away from each other, and I preached three times, at nine, eleven, and three, at all three churches, and um, it was, uh, we spent 10 years in That conference obviously we moved um, in different places but it was it was really a blessing it was um, in hindsight it was just such a way of growing in ministry like if God would have told me ahead of time when I was at Southern you're gonna be graduating and going to the deep south I would have said say what Um, (laughs) but nonetheless and so Uh, What I'm trying to point out is that I grew so much, and I know this is what I want to hear really what, in part, is how you grew over time in your ministry, right, from that three-church, you know, district to recently, well, somewhat, you know, recently, obviously the years you've been at Oakwood and before that, you know, Berean. So tell us a little bit about that, you know, journey and um, some of the blessings and challenges that you've had perhaps pastoring large churches, which you are well known for, Berean, and everything that you did there. And you can tell us about that and your current place. But overall, just tell us that pastoral journey that I know many would like to hear and some of the blessings and challenges that you've had and learned from uh,
1: since. Well, thank you, Javier. And I want to say, like you, I praise God for that early time in ministry. I praise God that early district and those early districts uh they've yeah. helped shape me they mold you they humble you um and i look back saying praise be to god L- let me tell you about my journey a bit so fresh out of oakwood 22 years old i went and it was assigned as i shared to this church district in southern mississippi um back in those early days i was single And uh, I I tease and say to myself, I was running a week of prayer every week back then. (laughs) By that, I mean uh, with three churches, one of the churches of the three only had two members. And, And both persons were over 65 years old, two ladies over 65, wonderful ladies. And I thank God for the experience because Javier now having pastored large churches and having been on conference executive committees and division committees and whatnot, you can still remember what those early districts were like. You can still yeah. remember what the needs are, because I often tell people you cannot lead where you haven't been. So hmm. having been in those early districts, uh, you're able better to understand ministry from that perspective. And as you know, The reality is within our church structure, we have more churches that are smaller than we do larger. So I think it's Mm -hmm. very important when we we do this podcast, I think it's important when we do workshops and seminars and the like, that we're able to speak from a perspective of, we've been there. We we may not be there now, but we've been there. But in those early years, um, in what the, the two member church, I made it a point to be there every week. So really what transpired for me in my work week, Tuesday night, I had midweek prayer meeting in one church. Wednesday night, I had midweek prayer meeting in the other church. And then Thursday, I had midweek prayer meeting in the third church. On Sabbath mornings, I would preach at 9 a.m. at the two-member church. Then at 11 a.m., I would rotate from week to week the other two churches. And then Mm. at 4 p.m., whatever church I didn't go to at 11, I went to at 4. So Mm. 9 a.m. I preached in one. 11 I preached in the other. Four I preached in the other. Then during the week, I was Tuesday night one church, Wednesday night one church, Thursday night one church. Now the blessing is, whoever was the Thursday night uh, church or whoever was the 4 o'clock church on Sabbath, they got a sermon that Carlton Bird was real versed in because I would (laughs) preach the sermon on Tuesday, then Wednesday, then Thursday. Back in those days we didn't have social media, so people weren't recording you. So my two-member church was my test group. And oh, but they loved it. They loved it. They loved it. And then Wednesday and then Thursday and then Sabbath the same, I preach at nine, the sermon, then preach again at 11, then preach again at four. But I tell you this wow. out here, it helped my preaching. It helped mm-hmm. develop me, and and I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I would visit the members mm-hmm. weekly, okay? Wow. So I, in, in the deep south, I learned how to shell peas. I, I learned how to do a lot of things sitting on the porch, but those relationships were critical. Yeah and they have been critical even to this day. I ran and conducted my first public evangelistic meeting in uh, Laurel, where the two members were, and the Lord blessed. Javi, I had no money. And I remember we had no money, no people, the resources were very limited. But the old expression says, little becomes much when you place it in the master's hand. And Hmm. I tell this story often, I want to share it here today. Um, I had no money, but I wanted to do something evangelistic. That's what we're called to do. So we had two members and Javier, uh, I said, let's conduct a vacation Bible school. And I told those two ladies, I said, listen, if you all just do uh, the snacks, I'll do everything else. So singing (laughs) the songs, uh, doing the lessons, and playing, we split play kickball with the kids. I'll do all that, just do these um, uh, snacks, you know, whatever it was we would eat. And so- You feed them all the rest. Yeah, so what we did was we, I found two young men, two little boys in the neighborhood, and I told them, I said, I will give you a happy meal if you pass out all these flyers. And so <laughs> I went to my computer I did the best I could with creating a flyer announcing the Vacation Bible School and uh, made copies, gave the flyers to the young men, the boys there, and they went out of the community. I had to make sure I didn't give them the Happy Meal until after they passed out the flyers. And sure <laughs> enough, they passed out those flyers and uh, gave them the money for a Happy Meal. And opening night of our Vacation Bible School, Javier, we had 52 children. And it was just a blessing. Oh, it was a blessing. And every night they would come. And so I said, listen, this is great. I said, let's conduct our Vacation Bible School closing program. And let's do it on Sabbath during our Mm. regular worship time. And so we did that. And the blessing was the children came and all of their parents came. And so that was a high day for us. I mean, high day. And, um, I said, you know, this is great. And so what I did was I took the names of the parents and I said, let's conduct an evangelistic meeting. So after that, we conducted evangelistic meeting on that church every Sunday night. So Sunday night Mm. we conducted evangelistic meeting. Tuesday night was when I did prayer meeting. So I preached again Tuesday night and then on Sabbath at 9 a.m. And uh, we did that, I think it was seven weeks, because we called it the seven summer lights of 1994. <laughs> and the Lord bless uh, my brother. Uh, it got time for baptism, and we baptized three people. And so wow, we grew our membership from two to five with the three people. So shortly thereafter, the conference uh, assigned me to go to Andrews, to the seminary, and uh The latter part of that year, the president of the conference invited me to uh, come back for the year-end meeting. And so I went back for the year-end meeting. And at the year-end meeting, they traditionally give awards for uh, pastors that have done well in certain areas there in the conference. And so it got time for the evangelism award. And um, the evangelist, pastor evangelist of the year. And, um, you know, I thought, of course, they're going to give it to these other pastors who are giving great, glowing reports and big reports and big numbers. And so the hmm. president says, We're happy uh, for our Pastor Evangelist of the Year. And our Pastor Evangelist of the Year for our conference is Carlton Bird uh, because <laughs> he increased his membership by 150%. So, because <laughs> we went from two to five. And so, yes. what a great thing, affirmation. But I look back and oh, what a time I had. I was here at Oakwood this past year. We were in the midst of an evangelistic meeting. And one of the members there in that district was very ill. And the family called and they said, you know, uh, please pray for the family member. It doesn't look good. And uh, I said, I've got to do more than call. I got on the plane that very next day. Uh, God bless, we were off the next night. Got on the plane. Flew to Jackson, Mississippi, rented a car, drove over to So-So, Mississippi and Laurel, Mississippi to see this member. And, oh, I'm so grateful I did. Um, mm. Subsequently, the member has passed. But just to see the member and talk with them. And when I walked into the, to the hospital room, the spouse of the member said, do you know who that is? And the, the individual looked up and said, that's Pastor Bird." And you just Mm. don't know, Javier. That did my heart so good. Uh, And so when I'm able to look back, even now you're preaching to thousands, you're preaching to television audiences. But I praise God for those two people. I praise God for the people. It grew to five people. And I praise God for the other churches with 25 and 30 people. And I look forward to making it to the kingdom to see those people because they helped Mm. shape and mold my ministry into becoming what it is today.
0: What a beautiful story, and it's just amazing to to also see your passion. I mean, people can't see what I'm seeing as we're um, here in this, you know, video conference. But seeing your eyes, seeing your heart tell the story here, and um, even seeing your eyes get a little watery. Maybe I don't know if it's the video, but just you remembering that um, just shows the passion that you have, that you've always had. And I think that that just, I mean, for lack of a word, I guess the you know the word passion is thrown a lot around these you know actual days but um it's a beautiful story of what god can is, do even of what the lord will do yes and two people um yes. and so your god uses you there and teaches you there and uh, I, I love that the conference um put it out there and said you know what actually percentage wise he he's done amazing and i think that's a great thing it's uh, a great but, way
1: it's a great way if i can jump in here of affirming, you know, our pastors, particularly, and you've been there, you've been there, Javier, um, in those early, smaller districts. Um, It's a great way to affirm, and and that goes back where God has blessed us to be where we are. We have not forgotten that. So the people Mm -hmm. that are there now, we we understand the importance of uh, affirming them. I tell people all the time, being at Oakwood now, you know, our church leads the conference in Tide, in fact, for regional conference churches, Oakwood University Church is the largest tithe church, but I tell people all the time, and I tell our members, I said, mm-hmm. we have a responsibility to continue to grow because it's because of the churches like Oakwood that are able to, the strong bear the infirmity of those who may be a little weak. And we've gotta grow, and we've gotta grow our tithe because our tithe impacts not just what we do here in Huntsville, but it impacts our entire conference. And there are Mm. persons out there who are pastoring in smaller districts, and and they need us. We've got to grow this work. Jesus isn't coming anywhere until the gospel goes everywhere. And so even Mm. now being here at Oakwood, I have a passion not just to grow Oakwood, but through our gifts and through the returning of our time, that helps our smaller areas. Uh, I was not ready to pastor Oakwood Church now 25 years ago. But because of the Oakwood Church and its faithfulness, it enabled the conference to be what it is and what it was to enable me to get employed, to do the work in Southern Mississippi, where God has grown me through this journey to be able to Pastor Oakwood now. And, and, and I thank God for that. And I thank God for the smaller districts. The Lord trusted me uh, in that small district. And because he trusted me back then, he's able to trust me now. If you can't trust me with smaller things, He can't trust me with expansive things and so i Mm. want to challenge and encourage our pastors every round goes higher and if god can trust you in responsibilities that you think are not great but they are great he can trust Mm. you with those responsibilities that you do believe are greater for his glory
0: thank you for saying that carlton you know we 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 see that a lot it's tough for some pastors in certain areas and um they can easily be discouraged, um, just like we can, it doesn't matter, Uh, the heart can be deceptive, as we know, but, um, so I really appreciate those encouraging words and the actual story, and I appreciate what you're saying about our tithing system, and, and, um, interestingly enough, there were no questions about that on our, on, on, on our conversation, but I appreciate, you know, you mentioning that there's been conversations about our system and what have you, and, 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 um, There's no perfect system, and every system should be evaluated and improved on. That's my two cents there. But with that said, it's important to what you mentioned there that um, it was, in part, that system that helped you grow, that helped me grow in these smaller churches, and that as it helped us grow, helped us to better understand how to pastor. And so I appreciate that. Um, Tell us, with that said, tell us some of the uh, kind of— Coming full circle to the you know question, now pastoring these large churches. So Berean, Oakwood, again, tell us not so much the differences. Uh, you can mention that as well, but some of the not just the blessings, the challenges now of pastoring okay. these large churches. How does that work? I've interviewed um, you know Randy Roberts, Loma Linda. I've interviewed Dwight, and, and and they have their own perspective. So give us yours as pastoring the largest um, African-American church within our denomination,
1: if I can say that. Well, th- let, let's stay a little bit on the tithe issue, and let's stay a little bit on finances. Okay, there, sure. There, there is a myth out there that with the larger church, you have larger and greater economic resources but i have learned it's all relative it is all relative to the size of your church uh so for example um the utility bill in so-so or or laurel mississippi let's say laurel may have been fifty dollars if that right the the utility bill at oakwood is twelve thousand dollars you know Hmm. so it's it's Monthly, so so it's it's relative, but there's a myth out there. Our members, others, that there's just the resources. The reality is uh you have lot bigger bills. Now we talked about right. the tithing system. I want to be very clear. I praise God for the system which has helped me. I do feel that there are times for re-evaluation and a reassessment relative to our structure, and I'm not gonna get into all that, but in terms sure. of the, the the duplicitous nature of layers if you will I think that sure. we, we we were organized in a certain way years ago with certain personnel being in certain places because our communication channels were not what they are today and perhaps sure. we need to do some resourcing if you will of our personnel in those mm-hmm. areas where it's itching, we need to scratch, but that's another discussion. But um, (laughs) that is a challenge. Uh, There is a thought and a mindset that there are greater resources. While there may be greater resources cumulatively, when we talk about gross margin, it may not be what people think. Most of our large churches are affiliated Uh, with an educational institution. And with that, it requires resources. Um, Most of our large churches, there is an expectation that the way church is done, that the way ministry is done, that the way the physical plant is kept, there's a certain expectation and there should be. Well, with that, there are also dollars and resources, financial resources, that are needed to complement that so i would dare to say uh one challenge you know your your resources okay another challenge in your larger church uh while you have again greater cumulative resources in terms of human resources um because of the need for specialization because of the need for expertise in certain areas Because there is a mindset, oh, we've got so many people, someone else will do it. And no one really takes direct ownership. You have a larger budget for personnel. So Mm. you you have a larger budget, for example, for a custodial staff. You have a larger budget for office staff. You have a larger budget. At Oakwood Church, we have to have five people, for example, in our treasury department there must be division of responsibility and labor just with accounting practices so you have to have somebody that counts receivable someone accounts payable someone in payroll then you have to have someone on staff for example for auditing and and these are different resources that you must have in a church this size uh we employ seven full-time janitors uh we have to our church because it is a large church and the facility we are often the home and host, which is okay, for different church events, not just local church, but conference events. Well, with that, there's an expectation that, you know, cleanliness is not biblical, but I do think the principle is right. Cleanliness is next to godliness. So you have to have a staff for that. So I'm saying all that and giving all these examples, I think your resources, your human, while you have more cumulatively, your financial resources, while you have more cumulatively, it's all relative, and the expectations are much higher, and they should be.
0: How, how many pastors do you guys have on staff? On and staff, how, the how big? Um, for those that may not, how, how many? Um, how large is the Oakwood, you know, church in membership and attendance? And you know what I mean by that, if any, you know, person knows. So, for those that may not know, give us that information if you can.
1: Okay. So, the Oakwood Church has six pastors. I am the senior or the lead pastor. And then we have a staff of five additional pastors, associate pastors who serve with me. Uh, We have a book membership of about 3,000 people. Okay. When school is in session, we are around uh, the neighborhood of 2,000 persons coming to church every week when school is in session. When school is not in session, we're neighboring around the area, about 1,200 people come to church consistently. And when school's not in session, of course, you're in your summer months, people are traveling and, and whatnot. But um, that's where our numbers are pretty much are. Now with that, you know, my first year, Javier, here at Oakwood, and this was also representative at Berean. My first year here as pastor, I had 53 funerals. So in an institutional setting here at Oakwood, Mm -hmm. um, you have a lot of persons uh, within our denomination, our faith group who retire here in this area. So with that, you have a great number of funerals. So yesterday, for example, I had a funeral. I just got back preaching for the Twin Cities African Camp meeting in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where I preached Mm -hmm. Sabbath and Saturday night and all week prior to that. Sunday morning, I catch a flight, soon as I get off the flight, I get here to Huntsville at 310. There's a funeral that started at 3 o'clock. I've got to preach the eulogy eulogy per family request. So I go straight there. So so you have that uh, as well. So there are a lot of moving parts. I tell people we're a full service church. You know, we're open every day. Uh, And so in your larger church, you have that. Berean, you have the same thing. Now on Berean staff, Uh, there were three pastors in addition to myself. So I was the lead pastor. You had three additional pastors. Uh, But you had full-time secretary, full-time janitorial staff, full-time treasury staff. Uh, The difference between Berean and Oakwood, Berean was more an urban church. Uh, Oakwood is more an institutional church. Uh, Mm -hmm. But you have same needs because you have people. Right.
0: So tell us a little bit, before we get into a Breath of Life, uh, tell us a little bit about with all that information, what does the evangelism slash discipleship process? And on the Restore podcast, I've, we've had a lot of different guests and conversations about evangelism and discipleship. You know, we we feel it's the heartbeat, obviously, clearly, is a passion and a gift of yours. Um, I've read your book, and uh, we kind of talked about it um, in our uh, before we started recording. Um, contemporary Evangelism for the 21st you know century. It was reprinted last year's a book that you released a while ago, 2009 or so. Um, and as as I told you before, I believe that a lot of what you mentioned, even though several years ago, definitely applies today. Um, and it seems that that in your book, you've in a nutshell, after giving the foundation, you you put out the essence that it's about worship. And correct me if I'm wrong here, worship outreach and administration, that those three aspects, and you break it down in the book, right? I'm just giving a quick summary for the sake of time. But those three are the essence of being able to really take the church to the next level. Uh, And so is that something that you still feel is present now at Oakwood? Has that changed over the course of time since you wrote the book? What are your thoughts and, and what does that look like, especially the discipleship process with such a large church?
1: Well, you're, you're correct. So you've read the book. We, we can attest to that. Worship Outreach Administration. So let, let's start with the worship. Every Sabbath, every time we meet for corporate worship in our church, this is an opportunity for major evangelism. All right. Mm. And so that with evangelism, our preaching, our music, the facility, even our language, it must be inclusive. It must be of such a where seekers persons who are looking they're searching that they 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 find something when they come to worship i tell people all the time if worship is to contribute to the growth of your church three things must take place number one members have to want to be there okay if members Mm. don't want to be there why would anyone else want to be there my litmus test for me javier is my family that my family i want them there so members have to want to be there number two um members have to be proud to bring their friends. So it can't be a scenario where they're embarrassed. Who's gonna sing today? Who's gonna preach today? How does the church look? No, they gotta wanna bring their friends. And then number three, whoever comes is eager to return. So that is reflected, whether I'm in law and so-so, it may not be to the degree of Oakwood, but still that worship is critical. That's reflected in Berean, urban church, Oakwood institutional church. Then when we talk about outreach, the different activities. So-so, it was a vacation Bible school. Berean, it was a block party. Oakwood, through our Family Life Center, we have a strong feeding program. We have our own ABC, and we have our own medical health clinic. There has to be some Mm -hmm. type of outreach where you're connecting with people. And then when you're doing your worship, you're doing your outreach, all of that lends itself to getting what I call just simply getting names, that you put in a database that you're then ready to invite to the public evangelistic campaign. I think with public evangelism and contemporary evangelism or new evangelism, there are different methods going on right now. I don't think it can be an either or. I think it has to be a both and. I think we have to do both. I I still think we have to preach, we have to teach and share in love our, our biblical distinctives, okay? I still think that must be done. So, yes, we can have a Mother's Night Out. Yes, we can do friendship evangelism. But I still think we've got to teach and preach those biblical distinctives. Because I think that's what people are looking for, okay? But it has to be couched in such a way that it's palatable, if you will. Now, in Berean, I conducted three evangelistic series, public evangelistic series, annually. In Oakwood, I only do one because I do a lot of series series external to the Huntsville community as well on an annual basis. But I probably do four public campaigns a year. Now, you talked about discipleship. One of the advantages in Berean and in Houston, where I pastored prior to Berean, and then in Nashville prior to Houston, having three meetings per year helped in that discipleship process. You may say, Mm well, what do you mean by that? Well, for me, um, repetition deepens the impression. And after conducting one evangelistic series, the persons who positively responded, accepted Jesus Christ as their personal savior, were baptized and became a part of our church fellowship. When they heard it the second time, it became a bit more clear to them. They understood it. The first time it was cognition and emotion, if you will. But the second time when they heard it, it, it affirmed for them cognitively, what they had learned. And and for that, it was good. And by that also, they were excited about telling others. You know, I I shared my journey. I'm a fifth generation Adventist, paternally and maternally. I have been raised in our Adventist education system. I tell people, you will not out Adventist me, okay? My family, (laughs) we got off the morning star. But persons who join our church, they have Mm -hmm. a reach far greater than we do. So part of that discipleship process, particularly when we were doing those three meetings annually within the local church, the first time those new members, and I'm very careful. I tell people, let's not say new believers. Let's say new members because there are people who are new members, but they were already believers. Okay. Hmm. They're new members. The new members, they become acclimated to our fellowship. They hear it again it affirms what they heard earlier. And then that third tier, uh, that third time we have that meeting, then they're ready to engage really all out in the commission. Now you've been baptized, you are being discipled. Now go make another disciple. Okay. And that 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 has been a blessing. In Oakwood, we have a real emphasis, uh, especially as of late, with our Sabbath school and because we see that as our small groups and so with that we're really hammering that home and hammering that home really with children and youth our our latest two additions to our pastoral staff uh have been a full-time children's ministries pastor and you can see the discipleship you you can see the intentionality with sabbath school but also with everything we do at our church we still do a children's story and you can still see uh, where point A goes to B and C and all that awesome mm-hmm. person we have on our staff. And and we're getting that also now. Uh, our latest hire has been the addition of a specific youth and young adult ministries pastor, again, honing in on that discipleship piece. So with the youth, with the children, then we have a new members ministry at our church at Oakwood, where our okay. members, because we, we, we build on the wealth of, Retirees who have served our church, and so mm-hmm. once a month, every Friday, they have a gathering of new members. Of course, discipleship, uh, helping them understand the Sabbath, time for fellowship, which is critical. We have to be intentional about that, given the size of our church, uh, and it has proven to be a wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. And then we have a, a part of that Sabbath school piece. We have a new members slash discipleship sabbath school class and they speak to the needs of our people we employ bible workers on a local level that work year round they aren't just Mm. employed for the public evangelistic campaign they work year round so for example later today i will have a meeting with them and we go through every name of every new member since my pastorate began here at oakwood keeping up with them visiting them Talking with them, and we see that all is being very important.
0: Powerful. So, I think, you, and so I think it leads to the third part, right? So you mentioned uh, worship, and I know you can say a lot more about that. I, I encourage people to buy the book. It, it it really flushes things out. You mentioned outreach in all of its forms, um, discipleship included in that essence with evangelism, of course. But you already mentioned, without necessarily mentioning it directly, the third part, which is administration. Um and speak a little bit towards that because I think that's a that's a big part there and it's what you were saying, just as you're speaking, you're being very intentional. And as the old saying goes, whether it was John Maxwell who said it first or whoever it is that said it first, everything rises and falls on leadership, administration right. to some to some degree. Um and so and so tell us a little bit more about that, because as I'm hearing you and as I read the book, it seemed like administration, and I'm talking about local administration, local church, whether it's a full staff like yours or a single pastor with with uh, in a church setting with lay people, it is quintessential that they all be on board and know where they're going. Um, and that is just part of evangelism and discipleship. So tell us a little bit more about that part.
1: So with that part with the administration, as you shared, it's critical. So I'll give you, I'll be a bit practical here. Okay, so yeah. at the beginning of every year, I have what I call a church progress report meeting. Uh, it's, it's a business meeting, if you will. But we review what we have done the preceding year. And then mm. yours truly will share, I'll share. Um, these are our goals for this year. And and, and Javier, we unpack that. And, and, mm. and so the Love takeaway that. and the end goal may be a hundred baptisms, right? But what I'll do is, and I've been doing this since so and so Laurel, I'll put together a booklet and say, this is the takeaway, a hundred baptisms for this year, or this is the takeaway, an increase in by 20%, whatever it is, increase in local offerings by 20%. And then I'll actually, it's tedious, it's methodical, and it's specific, but there's a blessing in the details. I'll actually, with every goal we have, methodically in print, share, and this is where I believe the Lord is leading me, the pastoral staff, the direction in which we need to go to get to that end result. And we'll sit there and we'll talk, get buy in further from the church, and then we vote it. Mm-hmm. And then after we vote it, we have to execute it. So with right. that execution, that requires work, that requires meeting with elders, that requires meeting with ministry leaders, that requires meeting with ushers and meeting with greeters, but it it has to be done. Uh, And then I feel it has to be documented on paper and then we'll come back every quarter with the pastoral staff and we'll evaluate where we are Mm -hmm. in that process. And, And it's important. So when they come, when our people come for the progress report, it's almost like they're receiving what our members receive when they're delegates to a conference constituency meeting. They wow. get an actual document uh, that shares where we've been, where we are, and then where we're trying to go. So, like mm. that, right now, at the Oakwood Church, we're renovating our sanctuary, new pews, new carpeting, and some other new things that we're doing. Um, But all of that was a part of our, what we call Restoration 40 goal. Uh, Prior Mm -hmm. to 2017, we began talking about it. And a part of Restoration 40 was to build a new Family Life Center, which we did. Beautiful facility. Then renovate our church. Then start specific ministries. Build a new building for our K-12 Academy. But all of that was a part of Restoration 40, where we as a church said, 2017 is 40 years from when we built our current facility. So we praise God that he's brought us here these 40 years. Now for the next 40 years, where are we going? Well, we shared Mm -hmm. that in the progress report. Then a part of that was these renovations, the establishment of these ministries, the physical plan adjustments we needed to do. And you have to follow that. What you want to do for evangelism. You know, so we said with 40 years, over four years, we want to baptize 400 people. This is how we're gonna do that, and so all yeah. that works hand in hand. But it requires prayer, it requires thought, it requires meeting, it requires yeah. specificity in the details, and you gotta do it.
0: Well, I love that. Um, you know, I, I I tend to call it AAA, um, which is um, I'm trying to think here for. Uh, up at the, okay, uh, AAA: assess, adjust, adapt. And um, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, AAA is obviously, as everybody knows, what, what um, you know, some people may call to get help with their car or whatever. Right. Um, but I, so I kind of use that for AAA. And it's to me, it's what you're, you're actually doing. And it seems that more churches, and I, and I speak in general, of course, I know many churches do it. But the very intentional aspect of adopting collaboratively this plan for whatever size church it may be. And then assessing it, adjusting it, adapting it, and then doing it all over again. Assessing, adapting, adjusting, um, and, and and that way people are included in it. And I love the fact that uh, you mentioned that each person gets or a, a a an actual hands-on material of where the progress yes. is at. Um, and it takes a lot of work, and so I really appreciate getting the practicalness of that. And that a church that size is doing something like that because that will take a lot of work. And, of course, again, even if we have staff, it still takes a lot of work because I'm assuming that staff has their own responsibility. But to be fair, they're also looking at Dr. Carlton Byrd. Like, what does right. Dr. Carlton Byrd say about all this? Whether we like it or not, they're looking at what is he saying and what's right. coming down
1: with the rest of the group. Is that fair to say? That is definitely fair to say. You you, you got it right. You're ready to join and become a member of the Oakwood Church. You got it right. Amen. I'd love to. Um, so with that said, how do
0: you manage all of that and also um, lead and direct Breath of Life? So tell us a little bit about Breath of Life. Um, I know you've been there since, my understanding, 2010. That's correct. But, um, yeah, give us a little synopsis of uh, how Breath of Life started, where it's at, how it's how you run it jointly with Oakwood and um, where it's going.
1: Well, to answer your question, the first one, how do you do it? Only the Lord and a supportive (laughs) family, I'll say that. But Breath of Life was started in 1974. Uh, A gentleman by the name of Walter Ortiz, great singer, was in Southern California and he had a great desire and felt that there needed to be uh, a ministry, television ministry, for specifically People of color, black people here in the United States, um, mm-hmm. and so the brethren uh, saw light in it, and with that breath of life was born. Um, it is one of our media ministries for the North American Division of the Seventh Day Adventist Church. Uh, mm-hmm. With that, uh, it is uh, akin then to Voice of Prophecy. It is written, Breath of Life, Faith for Today, uh, Life Talk Radio la Voz esperanza and also mm-hmm. jesus 101 these are the seven media ministries of our church and so we're grateful breath of life to be a part of the seven um our first speaker director was the beloved elder cd brooks great mm-hmm. preacher great pulpiteer. god has blessed yeah. this ministry particularly under his leadership he led for 18 years um mm-hmm. under his leadership he is well known for the fact that Uh, We started 14 Breath of Life churches across our our world, and for that, we're we're grateful. Uh, After Elder Brooks, Elder Walter Pearson, great preacher, great narrative preacher, um, he took over. And with Elder Pearson, uh, he is best known during his period uh, of nine years, he is best known for his work when the church was getting involved in net evangelism. Uh, He held a net campaign entitled Experience the Power. And so with that, uh, the Lord abundantly blessed. Then yours truly, like you said, took over in 2010. God is blessed. There's a unique uh, model now that we follow. Breath of Life is based at a local church, and I pastored the church. Uh, Hmm. My predecessors were really itinerant preachers, if you will. Where they would right. go across, do meetings and do special days and whatnot, and make sure the weekly broadcast was done. In addition to that, I've got a pastor of church, and not mm. just any church—Oakwood Church—and then part of that Berean Church. Um, but there was a thought, particularly that in urban America, many of our counterparts in terms of television evangelism, they are based at a local church. So whether mm. it's Uh, Joel Osteen, he's a television preacher, but he's based at a church. It's broadcast from his church. T.D. Jakes, based at his church, broadcast at his church. Andy Stanley, based at his church, broadcast from his church. Charles Stanley, the same. And so there was a need, uh, it was felt, that we have something akin to that within our ranks as the Seventh-day Adventist church. So Breath of Life is not just for black people, it is for all people. But our mission clearly states that we're seeking to reach people from a contemporary urban perspective. So with that, yeah. during my time, uh, we have emphasized, our of course, our weekly broadcast. We have also emphasized public evangelistic campaigns. And God has blessed us that as a result of several campaigns, we have been able to plant four new Breath of Life churches, one in Tampa, hmm. Florida, one in Las Vegas, Nevada, one in Stamford, Connecticut, which is a little north of New York City, and one in San Antonio, Texas, all urban areas. Uh, God has Mm. also blessed us where we have been very active uh, with broadcast specials for holidays. We've done one Easter special, and we've done three Christmas specials that have been shown nationally on national networks. By that, we mean ABC, NBC. Uh, This past year... We did one, it was entitled King of Kings, and we recorded it right here at the Oakwood University Church. Uh, Yours truly preached in four vignettes, if you will. And then in addition to that, the world-renowned Oakwood University Aeolian Sang, which is our concert choir here on the campus. And then also Kirk Franklin uh, and Shalaya Frazier were our musical guests. Pat to the brim, standing room only, and we just received back the ratings and God bless, we're seven and a half million people watch. Wow. And so we're, we're so proud of that, where people become aware, not necessarily Carlton Bird, but Breath of Life Television Ministry, but also the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so where one work. would say, um, I don't know if I would have a Kirk Franklin sing. Well, that's our demographic, that contemporary urban market, uh, yeah. which is very, very multicultural, uh, which is very, very, very uh, into different things, social media driven. And so with BREATH, our job is to to reach those urbanites, those millennials, whether they're white, they're black, Hispanic, Asian, or whatever. And so the Lord Mm -hmm. is abundantly blessed, so much so for that Christmas special. Uh, We've been asked now, uh, to carry it on ABC this this Christmas. So where it was Amen. on NBC last Christmas, it will be carried on ABC this Christmas, and so we're really excited about that.
0: Awesome! Glad to hear the uh, Disney Company has invited you to be on ABC. That's incredible! Praise the Lord.
1: Yeah. And the thing about it is, Javier, <laughs> if we talked about a difference, what I have to be careful with you—you you spoke of that balance. Um, What's critical is both of my predecessors, Elders, Brooks and Pearson, did not let go of Breath of Life necessarily because they wanted to, but they had Hmm. to let it go because of health reasons. Um, And so with that, a lot of people don't understand in addition to the, the, the Breath of Life television, what people see in television or what they see in public evangelist campaigns, our media ministries, all of them, Breath of Life included, are donor dependent and so mm-hmm. with it being donor dependent in addition to the preaching piece the speaker directors have to be fundraisers uh, right. while we receive an appropriation from the Seventh day adventist church the appropriation is not to the tune of being able for these ministries to operate we are donor dependent uh, right. donor dependent. So if the, if the appropriation is 10-15% of our budget, we've got to raise the rest. And so mm. that that is that is very exhausting. That's a lot more work. it's oh, a lot more work on Carlton Bird. Yes, that is yes. exhausting. So it works well with Breath of Life being based at a church because there can be some commonalities with human resources. By mm. that I mean Most large churches today, they have a strong streaming ministry, or they may even have a localized television broadcast ministry, but minimally an internet streaming ministry. So, with that, we are able to capitalize and up the ante, if you will, intensify our efforts because there are certain standards for public television. We're on the Word Network, which is a national network. We are also on several uh abc affiliates across the country and then of course 3abn hope channel and whatnot but there are certain broadcast standards that are a little greater than what one would do just with you know your internet ministry but because we have to do that you know we intensify our efforts with our equipment uh and then we have human resources that help out and in a large church that is one advantage you have greater human resources to help, even with a television and or an internet ministry. Uh, with us, we're able to utilize a lot of the students. We have partnered with Oakwood University and with their communications department. The communications department, who deals with broadcast journalism, is also the media director for the Oakwood University Church. So with okay. that, we're able to utilize student resources, Uh, Where they get their practicums, just like a theology major must work a public evangelistic campaign, an education major must do a school uh, practicum, communication majors, they have to do practicums with uh, the church and with Breath of Life, given your television ministry.
0: Well, I personally praise God, Um, you know, four score, seven years ago when I was coming back to God, um, I remember learning a breath of life. So when I say four score, seven years ago, it was, I don't know, 20 or so years ago. And um, growing up in a predominantly Hispanic church, large church settings, of course, I knew La Voz de la Esperanza and all of that, but of course, I mainly spoke English Um, and I, I, I came to know of, of uh, somebody lent me a tape. And uh, yes, right back in those days, we, we had a tape, VHS tape. And it was a person named C.D. Brooks. And I kept on hearing him say, the Bible says, right? And yes. so I actually, I, I yes. And so I, I, I mean, I grew up Seventh-day Adventist as, as well. Uh, but again, I'm listening to different Hispanic speakers and preachers and things of that nature. And, and, and then I learned of C.D. Brooks and then, I, I, I think I saw that whole series that you mentioned on VHS tape back in the day of Walter Pearson. Right. Um, what a blessing that was uh, for myself um, at that time. And, of course, your, you know, your ministry as well. But thank you for allowing us to kind of um, get a sneak peek behind the scenes of not only the history, which some may or may not know. And, of course, everybody can just Google all of this, but it sounds better coming from the person actually leading it. And, um, also giving us some of the, the, again, the inside aspects of how things are, you know, managed, which I think that's just amazing. That makes total sense to me that that ministry would be based in a church. And, uh, certainly that would help in easing some of the workload. It doesn't mean it makes it uh, necessarily less. It just makes it maybe a bit easier in a sense, because well, it's all done in one place. Right. Um, with that said, You uh, recently published um, a new book. I believe it's a sharing book out of Breath of Life called uh, Free. And I have not had a chance, you know, to read it. Our um, time from when I contacted you to when this interview was being taken place was uh, short. And I just had found out about the book being released literally a few weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken. So tell us a little bit about the book. Uh, What is it about? And uh, I'll, I'll put it on the show notes for people to get it. And we're going to okay. be giving it away as well. So I'll give more information about that in the intro or in the exit of this episode. But tell us about
1: the book. Okay, so the book is entitled Free. And the book talks about the fact that Jesus Christ is the ultimate freedom fighter. There is a lot of conversation, as you know, in our world today relative to social justice. Um, now, I think within our church ranks, it raises an eyebrow for some because they may or may not really know what social justice is all about. But when we talk about social justice, we're talking about relief of the oppressed and helping the downtrodden. And so in this book three, that's what we're talking about with specificity to the fact that Jesus, he is the original freedom fighter. And so we begin to trace freedom for God's people uh, there in the Exodus with uh, Moses and the children of Israel seeking to be free from the oppression of Pharaoh. And so in this book, easy read, very easy read, sharing book, we expound on that. And we as a church, Javier, we too have a responsibility to mm. engage in the betterment of people. Now, a lot of people want to just totally equate social justice with being political. And so with that, a lot of people say, we need to stay away from politics. Well, friends of mine, politics is all around us. That's just the reality that we must accept. And when we talk about helping people, if that means that's a part of politics, then so be it. But I think as a church, we have a responsibility to do that. And for me, that goes directly along with God's Christ commission. That goes directly along with evangelism. You know, the old expression, People don't want to know how much you know until they know how much you care. So they right. got to know how much we care. And, and, and then with that, they'll be interested in what we know. And I think that we we need to do a better job capitalizing on opportunities that can really help people. I mean, I hate to say this, but, you know, I love my church. I, I told you earlier, I'm fifth generation Adventist, but I also know Adventism cannot save me. And I think God is blessed that through evangelistic work he has afforded me the privilege and the opportunity to be able to go into people's homes and realize everyone may not look like me, everyone may not smell like me, everyone may not have to be the same color as me, but Jesus loves people. Jesus died for people. Jesus is coming back to get people. And when you have that relationship with people, we have a responsibility to help people. And I think we theoretically do a lot of talking. I don't think our church is starving for ideas. I think our challenge is implementation. I think our challenge is execution. And I think, and that goes back to that administrative piece you talked about. And I think when we have these opportunities to really show our faith and exercise our faith and rough shoulders with people, our response has been you know, we do very well-crafted, good statements, but after the statement, then what? We hmm. do great prayer, but after the prayer, then what? One of the things I'll share with you my ministry here at Oakwood, Yeah. my predecessors believed in evangelism. But one of the things that was done here in at Oakwood Church here in Huntsville, where evangelism would take place, but persons who were baptized as a result of those public evangelistic campaigns, new churches were started and they were planted. And that is a good thing. But one of the distinctions of my ministry or differences is a better word of my ministry here at Oakwood is where we have had public evangelistic campaigns and where the Lord has blessed us to baptize people, where people have come into a saving relationship with Christ. We have taken those persons and not started another church. But we have brought Mm. them into full membership of the Oakwood University Church. And that's not just for their benefit, but that's for the benefit of our membership. Because our membership, Mm. many of the persons here are either retired Adventists, persons who work for the institution. And if we're not careful, we can become very insulated, very isolated within what we do, not realizing there's a greater world out there. North Alabama has 400,000 persons that live in North Alabama. While we're not a Miami, while we're not a Tampa, while we're not in Orlando or a Jacksonville, we are a city. And we do not have 400,000 people in our churches. So therefore, we have a responsibility to reach those individuals with the wonderful saving message of love and hope of Jesus Christ. So therefore, when we baptize people here, It is critical for our church's growth, our church's development, that these individuals become members of our church so that there's growth, not just for that new member, but there's growth for that seasoned member, that there is a level of reciprocity, if you will, because Hmm. that helps me grow as a Christian. That helps me more patient as a Christian. That helps me be more empathetic and sympathetic as a Christian.
0: So Carlton, that, that's just wonderful, incredible, really. I mean, it just makes, I would say, I mean, it makes sense. And it's so great because what I'm hearing you say is that being an institutional area like Oakwood is, when you bring in the new people, it helps grow, um, I don't want to say the older people, but the ones that have been within the system for a long time, right? If we people, learn actually yes. from them. Yes. And um, they learn from us. And so I love that. I love that. And so for, for somebody who is listening saying, okay, I want to get this book. And again, we're going to be giving some away mm-hmm. and saying, okay, it's about being more active when it comes to social justice. And again, a, a phrase, a wording that that can take so many different realms online and social media and what have you. So for the average church member listening or person of faith, what does that look like in your take? And perhaps it's in the book. Um on the local level. So what would, meeting the people's needs, so the average person comes into X church or X church is trying to be better at that. What would that look like on
1: the ground? Is is that a fair question? That's fair. On the ground, that's food. On the ground, that's clothing. On the ground, that may be going to court and they're dealing with an issue. And and you've got to be their advocate. Um, You know, I, (laughs) I want to be careful here but but I want to be transparent here. Uh Please. right now in our country we hear the proliferation of what is taking place with individuals at uh the border. Okay? Mhm. Yeah. Okay. Independent of whatever our law state and I re- and I I respect and I understand our laws. There are people that have needs. And there are people mm. that need to see and hear the gospel of Jesus. And the only way, Javier, they may see and hear Jesus is through us. So mm. that that may mean visiting a border and providing food or clothing. Or, or, that may mean helping. Um, if people are being mistreated by law enforcement, and I know we don't like to talk about these things, but if they're being mistreated the church has a responsibility to be their advocate, to be mm. that voice, and so on the ground, that's what that's all about. You know, Jesus didn't say solely come to us. Jesus said go to them, go to the mm. people, and we yes. have a responsibility to do that. Thank
0: you, Carlton. Carlton, in in that same in that same realm. Um, I, I, I've been having it on my reading list, and it's 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 gonna take place here, which is Dr. Calvin Rock's book, um, which is my understanding a quintessential book called Protest and Progress, and um, came out last you know year, um, I believe Andrews University Press put it out, um, and again I have not had a chance to read it, but I it's on the, now it's just you know skyrocketed up to the top of my reading list, um, and. Tell us a little bit about, you know, um, you know, racism and the Adventist Church. Another topic that you know people are really tentative to talk about our history, and I have been really doing some research on this for my own benefit, my own knowledge. There are things that honestly, in full transparency, I didn't know. I, I mean, nobody ever told me. Nobody ever showed me here. Read this book. They gave me this book without naming the books, but they never told me, here, read this book, or let me tell you about what happened. And I have really dug into it. And so it's a very broad question, very delicate question for some, but tell us how you feel, um, how the church has done, is doing, and what can we do better when it comes to racism the church and everything that that involves is that
1: that i asked that question fair if i asked <laughs> it wrong help me out no 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 you asked it right and plus i know your heart your heart's in the right place um we have a very very rough past Mm-hmm. yeah as it relates to race relations i mean when we talk about our history we're talking about being one in christ and yet there were certain people of color who years ago couldn't eat in the General Conference cafeteria. Uh, There's a lady of color, Lucy Byard, who needs medical treatment, but is denied denied treatment at the then Washington Adventist Hospital. I mean, that's Mm. a problem, Javier. Um, Mm, And while we have made progress, we still have a long way to go i think with problem solution one of the biggest things that we must address if we're going to get to problem solution one of the first steps is problem recognition and i Mm. think that we're in denial i think that conversations like this though they're difficult they're necessary i think the book that uh dr rock has written great book must read Uh, And it helps in this process, but you know, our past has not been the greatest and we need to accept that and acknowledge that. Now, do we need to move forward? Yes, we need to move forward. But to think that, oh, really this hasn't been bad. Uh, This hasn't been the greatest. Uh, It it, it, it hasn't been as bad as people want to make it. That's wrong. Um, Yeah. That, that's wrong. So I think that, and I'm trying to be general, we have a history. It has gotten better. We have a long way to go. Uh, solutions are these kind of conversations. Solutions mm-hmm. are also um, honestly and transparently dealing with the issues. And maybe the fruit of that will be personnel decisions. Maybe the fruit of that will be fellowship. Uh, intentional fellowship. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. the fruit of, of, of moving from this are younger people. They see through a different lens uh, right. th- than we see. Uh, but, but I'll be clear, you know, I think I have the opportunity of serving the breath of life, and I travel across the country. And, and uh, you'd be surprised at some of the things I hear from people when hmm. I am the featured speaker or the uh, the mm. person that is being asked to come as a special guest. So we still yet have some work to do. So
0: I have to ask, what what is the now that you mentioned that what is the craziest thing somebody's ever said to you? Ken, well maybe not the crazy. Well maybe yes. I'm just going to go ahead and ask. What what is some of the craziest thing even in today's age that someone's perhaps um, said to you at, at, uh, when they find out that you're the speaker? I'm curious. So uh, I think person, the listeners are going to be curious.
1: <laughs> okay. Oh, so the conference, which is a predominantly, you know, Caucasian conference, a person will come up to me and say, oh, we have a black speaker. I thought all you all could do was sing. Mercy. Have yeah. mercy.
0: Yes. No. no. You, oh, mercy. I'm just incredible. Yeah. Um. So Carlton, so I, I hear you say conversations. You know, I think the more I converse with people. um. Let me just ask one more question, follow-up to that. You know, mm-hmm. how – I know some of our universities. I know Andrews um, hired a, a uh, diversity person there, uh, Michael uh, Michael Nixon, I believe. Yes. Um, also, I know Southern, my alma mater, um, is also, I believe, hiring somebody as well. I think they got a grant for that. Um, what What is – Explain to those that may not know, what does that mean? Why do we need a diversity person in those in those areas? Some may not understand why, um, could could you help, being that you're in an institutional setting yourself there at Oakwood, uh, maybe speak a little bit into that to, to help maybe, is this one way to help us continue
1: to move forward? It, it, it definitely is one way, number one, because you have a person, you have an individual at the table, you have someone at the table, Uh, I'm pretty sure, with administrators. At Oakwood, we have Mm -hmm. a diversity, uh, an individual special assistant to the president for diversity as well, Isaac Mm Iberna. But um, you have someone at the table. And so you have someone at the table who is speaking to the issues that we face as a country, as a culture, Mm -hmm. and as a church. And and I think that is a very good thing. And that sends a message that there is a need, there is a deliberate intentionality for inclusion. Now, if organizations are seeking just to have uh, this individual be a token, then that, you know, that's not, you know, what this is all about. I tell people all the time, when we talk about integration, integration is not where the less dominant culture merely takes on the traits, the philosophies, and ideas and ideals of the dominant culture. Integration Mm -hmm. is shared ideas, shared Mm. ideals, shared philosophy, shared methods. So I think by having the diversity officer, at least it lends itself to there's someone at the table, engaging in conversations, speaking to the issues and doing its best to bring a level of holism to that campus community. So do I think it's necessary? Definitely, definitely. Now we gotta get the right people, but it's right, definitely right. necessary. And I think that's what that person does.
0: Right. So I guess what also you what I'm you know what I'm hearing you say it helps that person have a voice, uh, representation, and fill in perhaps some of the blind spots that people may not be aware of or understand or comprehend of what's going on. And I think I think I you know understand. The need and that essence for that, and again, people may disagree when they listen to this, and I'll leave that up to whoever listens um, in their in their understanding where they agree or not. But I really thank you for speaking into this, and I and I believe that we want to have more conversations in regards to this. And I always believe that we need to listen more. I need to be better at listening. Of course, hosting a podcast like this has really helped me to to just listen to so many different perspectives of you know, people, the The closer we are, um, our proximity, and it's been said before by different people, the proximity to the issue often determines our understanding of the current situation. So mm-hmm. sometimes people speak into um, this topic, but really they're far removed. They're, they're not even in the midst of it. They're not talking to people that look different than they are, that think different than they are. Um, you know, you gave an example of yours, and I'm going to give an example, and I'm, i i got to be careful as well. Um, but uh, uh, a while ago, I, I was visiting a church. won't say what church or where or, or, or anything. It could be in Florida. could be outside of Florida. Right. Um, and they they introduced me to an individual, a longtime church member, and they said, this is uh, Pastor Javier Diaz. They told him um, what I did. And the response that I got back is, is 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 that your first name or last name? Thinking of my name Javier. And this and then they said something in the nature of, is is that a Mexican name? Uh, now I understand that, like you said, I, I, I felt like their heart was in the right place. Um, but like that was their first reaction, their first response. It wasn't happy Sabbath, how are you? Right. Good to see you, right. good to have you here. Um, it was my my name where I'm from and, um, and and I can sense a little bit of tension with the individual for no reason never met this man before in my life um, so it, it was it was interesting to me so I think my point of that which is adding to your point is that this is still among our churches
1: yes.
0: And um, we need to be able to speak about it more, have conversations, and learn from it. And then, as you said, we've come a long way, but we still have ways to go. And, and I want to know more about that. Not that we have to continue here, but because you've already mentioned some, but how, are, how can we continue forward? How can we, as Dr. Rock puts it in his title, um, protest, but also progress? You know, how can we continue to progress forward? So thank you for speaking into that. And um, hopefully we can uh, maybe have a round table sometime. I know I did one a few years ago um, and I had a round table, Ivan Williams and Maren Edmonds and others were on that round table. They can listen to it here on the podcast. I forgot what number episode it was on, but feel free to look back and check that as well. Um, Carlton, any last words that you'd like to give to our listeners before I let you go? Thank you so much for your time. Um, oh, man, It's been awesome great. incredible. And uh, by the way, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm free to do this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. Um, but um, you're going to be our camp meeting speaker next uh, year. So thank you for That's accepting right. that. And, um, yeah, any, any last thoughts uh, that you'd like to put out there? I just want
1: to say thank you for this privilege. Thank you for the opportunity. I pray again as I began, I'll save this as I end, that you're blessed. I know I've been blessed, and I hope the listeners are blessed. And I just want to tell people, be encouraged. You know, Jesus is coming. Be encouraged. Amen. You know, you, you, you may have opposition. Uh if you didn't have opposition, I would dare say you and the devil are running in the same direction. So Mercy. but 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 continue to, to be a blessing to people and, and, and understand people are who they are. They are mm. who they are. Uh and that's okay. But but I want to close with this. Always remember, particularly to our pastors, our lay leaders, God blesses people, not places. So mm. be faithful where you are. And God will reward you. I believe God rewards faithfulness.
0: Thank you so much for being on. God bless you,
1: Carlton. Take care.
0: Well, I hope and pray that you were blessed and perhaps even challenged by our conversation. Thank you so much to Dr. Bird for your time and willingness to be on the podcast. And as mentioned earlier, we want to give away his new sharing book entitled Free uh, that was mentioned. Uh, so the first three people, the first three people to email me at Javier, J A V I E R dot Diaz, D-I-A-Z, at floridaconference.com, and basically just say, send me the book free, I will do that for free. Again, the first three to email me, javie Diaz at floridaconference.com, we will send that to you for free. Thank you again, everyone, for listening Please feel free to share, subscribe, and leave a rating if you desire. It's always appreciated. Until next time, God bless.
1: Thank you for listening to this Restore podcast. We hope you've been blessed. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss any of our inspiring episodes.